And we're joined by Warren Kinsella, and chances are we will do only one topic this time. And we're joined by Warren Kinsella, and chances are we will do only one topic this time, but it's a topic that will consume uh, the American and Canadian news psyche uh, for several days, the death of Brian Mulroney, or MBM, as he was known to many in the political class that stood for Martin, Brian Mulroney. Uh, Warren Kinsella, one of the reasons I do a podcast with you is that uh, while you have done partisanship in your life, you don't do partisanship with me. You don't do partisanship in your your journalism. You call a spade a spade. And there is no doubt that you prepared Jean Chrétien for many partisan quips and partisan lines in your political life. Jean Chrétien last night showed, and I have no doubt that you will show me uh, today, uh, a different side, the human side of Warren Kinsella, reviewing the demise of the Right Honourable Martin Brian Mulroney. Yeah, it was sad. And I've got a, um, I was back to being a journalist again. I hammered out Charles the Obit just before deadline. It, I, I had to laugh. He's probably laughing where he is, that uh, all of us were scrambling on deadline to get in our uh, Mulroney stories and our Mulroney Obits just before deadline. It, I, I had to laugh. He's probably laughing where he is that uh, all of us were scrambling on deadline to get in our uh, Moroni stories and our Moroni obits. And um, <clears throat> the two things I said about him, people can read it for themselves if they want to, is that, you know, I was Cretchen's special assistant and um, they overlapped, Cretchen and Moroni. And my job was to make Moroni and his government make their lives miserable. And um, allegedly, I wasn't bad at it. But, um, you know, the extraordinary thing about the guy is, you know, when there was a health scare, one of our team, when um, they were having some personal tragedy, birth of a kid, the phone would ring and you pick it up and there's that voice. And uh, he said, you know, because I'll put your boss on the line. And he was, uh, he's different than the politicians you see today because he, I think, always remembered that politics about people. You have to love people. You got to care for people. That's what the job's all about. And he, he did, you know, and he, like he was an Irish Catholic scrapper from Quebec like me. And, um, you know, when you're Irish Catholic from, from Quebec, you learn how to fight. He knew how to fight. He knew how to win. But he, there was this big human heart at the center of the guy under all that Irish blarney. And um, that's what I'll remember. Before you were a Jean Chrétien liberal, you were a John Turner liberal. I'm confident that you were a John Turner liberal on the, on the campus of Carleton University. I was how did, you, how did you feel about... John Turner taking it on the chin, a devastating right hook from Brian Mulroney in the debate that Turner had with Mulroney, where Mulroney said that John Turner was confessing and that he was uh, guilty. Uh, Brian Mulroney in that debate was judge, jury, and hangman. How did you feel about him putting the noose 
the political noose around a person who you admired a great deal, John Napier Turner. People get to know you. You've been away for a long time. Let them get to know you. Just wait, just wait. But he wouldn't wait. And he called the election for September the 4th, 1984. And so the war room, it was kind of the precursor of the war room that I did for Kretzian in 93. Um, I was in there, in it with uh, Senator Philip Gigantes. And I think they put us together because Gigantes had been a newspaper man in Europe and North America. And I'd worked in newspapers and the media. And um, I remember I was sitting there and watching. It was in the old days where you had to structure your day around tv you couldn't watch it on the device uh, <laughs> device and um you know that happened what you just described and i remember senator gigantes turned to me and he said time for you to go to law school and um that was it right we i just knew it was done picked up the phone said to my mom and dad i'm coming home and i came home on september 4th 1984 to start law school and I remember being on the plane and the pilot announced, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the Conservative Party of Canada has got a massive majority. They did. And the whole plane erupted in cheers, except for me. And the woman I was sitting beside looked at me and she said, you don't look very happy. And I said, a lot of my friends just lost their job. And she said, well, you'll come back. And we did. But uh, that was Moroni. Like it was like people don't understand. 1984, September 4th, 1984, biggest majority, I think, in Canadian history, Charles. And he did it, you know, through hard work and charm and vision. So when John Napier Turner, uh, who was a person who had the royal jelly, he had a, a, a tremendous mind, had there not been a Pierre Trudeau, I'm confident that uh, John Turner in his prime uh, would have been prime minister and probably a very, very effective one. Uh, he was a little bit past his prime when Mulroney uh, knocked him out. Many of us were surprised that uh, Turner had a, a glass jaw that night. That wasn't the John Turner that most of us knew and admired. How did he respond personally to being devastated in that election by Brian Mulroney? Turner was one of those guys, also a Catholic, um, who, um, you know, one of those Catholics, I think, who believes in wearing a hair shirt and flagellating themselves, right? And they think the nobility is achieved by continual self-sacrifice. And, um, you know, he, the Liberal Party of Canada that night, I remember my dad picked me up at the airport. We're driving back to uh, my folks' home, and Turner came on the radio, and he said, the people are always right. And I just lost it. I was so upset. And, uh, but he's right. You know, he was right. He said, basically, we deserve to lose. We deserve to lose. And he worked so hard. And he came close again, you know, Turner did in 88 in that debate that he did with Muldoon on the free trade agreement. And, you know, he said, you want to erase the line between us and the United States. You want to make us the 51st state. And he had Muldoon on the ropes. And, um, but then you know, the Moroni guys were sharp and smart and they turned it around. They bombed the bridges, as they put it. And um, Mulroney won another supermajority and that was it for Turner. But, um, you know, I think Turner, certainly Christian, I know this for a fact, 
we all respected Mulroney's skills. His political skills were extraordinary. And, um, you know, Brian Tobin was one of our prosecutors in the House of Commons. And I'd write questions for, for Brian and, uh, and the other guys and uh, sticking it to Mulroney. And, you know, he was really good at it. And then, you know, the day that Tobin's son is born, he gets this box delivered by some guy and he opens it up and there's a blue silk tie from Brian Moroni, handwritten note, right? Like that's a pro. That's how you do it. And, you know, I was talking on the radio to a couple of your former colleagues this morning. And I say, you know, this is why I don't dig the style of Pierre Polyev. Pierre Polyev, you know, if you were to take Twitter and turn it into a human, that would be Pierre Polyev, right? It's just the anger stuff all the time. And um, like Muldoon and Christian, even to some extent Harper sometimes, they liked people, you know, they, they were good at people. And Moroni um, was like that. And I think, uh, I don't know, Charles, honestly, if we'll see the likes of that kind of politician again. Well, so he was, uh, as, as you know, when you met me, I was uh, a relatively predictable, relatively predictable uh, conservative talk show host. I generally came down on the side of the, uh, the conservatives. But I've got to tell you, just in my you know, personal ballot box life, uh, Brian Mulroney was the last uh, Canadian conservative uh, that I could uh, vote for without, um, without holding my nose a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and, that w- and that was because of the humanity and humanitarianism of Brian Mulroney. Brian Mulroney, unlike many of today's crop, and you just mentioned uh, Pauliev being one of them, uh, Brian Mulroney never darkened the room that he walked into. Brian no. Mulroney d- didn't have a, a, a chip on, on, on the shoulder, and I'm not going to scoop myself too much here. I've got a free press column coming out on Saturday about this, but... Brian Mulroney wasn't like many of today's conservatives like Pierre Polyev, who appear to have a chip on their shoulder that's heavier than the rock of Gibraltar. It's not attractive. And I, I don't know why it's attractive to, to, to some people. I guess some people are chronically angry or rageful. But that's not what I call a people person. That's not what I call someone uh, who will be good at public service. That's not someone who I think is someone who is uh, good at uh, leadership. Uh, That's not someone uh, who will want to have uh, people surrounding him or her that aren't uh, sycophants, that aren't bootlickers. Uh, I find that kind of rageful, authoritarian manner to be the kind of person that I never want to work for. I I know that you've probably worked for some people like that, and uh, you may have lasted five or ten minutes but you just—it's—it's it, hard to root for a boss who treats you the way some of these anger merchants treat their people. Yeah, Mulroney wasn't like that. You know, he loved the game. He loved the business. He loved talking to guys like, you know, you and phoning up at hey, Charles. You know, how am I doing? How am I doing? <laughs> and and uh, he was good at it. And he didn't demonize us, and nor did he demonize more than was necessary his opponents. You know, he had that human dimension, but so too did my boss. And so did, you know, that crop where you got to love people in this business. You got to care about people. You're not getting into it to be rich. The only time you leave politics, if you're rich or if you're a crook, you're not, <laughs> you know, you're, you're doing it because you want to help people. 
and Muldoon, you know, just I've got a column out too about him that I hammered out before deadline last night. And, um, you know, what is it that was special about the guy? And for sure, you know, won big elections and won this party's leadership and so on. But getting back to a point you made a couple minutes ago, he was a progressive conservative, which is an oxymoron. That name doesn't exist for that political party anymore. It's now just a conservative party. Yeah. But like, okay, 1985, 1986, he's in his first majority. And his friends, political friends internationally, are two people he cannot afford to piss off, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, you know, they condemn apartheid in South Africa, which is institutionalized racism. It is tyranny over people on the basis of the color of their skin. Those two would do nothing. In fact, they oppose sanctions. Who led the charge internationally against South Africa? Who led the charge for sanctions? Little old Canada and Brian Moroni. They did that. That took tremendous courage. That, that was a risk for him politically because there were many people in his party, as you remember, who were not happy that he was doing that. I'll just follow, follow Reagan and Thatcher in their wake and you'll be fine. And he said, no. So when Mandela was finally released from prison, where he'd been held for almost three decades, one of the first places he came was here, came to Canada, thanked us, but he thanked Brian Mulroney because everybody knew Mulroney took a huge risk of opposing this foul feated racism that, that existed in South Africa. And, the, you know, that was the kind of guy he was. Same with free trade. You know, a lot of aspects of free trade are unpopular these days. But that took guts to do. And then I think, you know, when he did Meech Lake and the GST, I think that's what finally turned people against him. They felt perhaps he wasn't listening to them anymore. They didn't want those things. And uh, But, you know, GST is still with us and there's 10% of government revenue. And Meech Lake has happened in all but name. Warren, help me with, with something uh, that uh, was the focal point of uh, my talk show in Calgary for uh, uh, quite a long time. Uh, the Distinct Society. Um, Brian Mulroney wanted to build a bridge to Quebec. I don't want to get into the weeds of, of all the constitutional stuff. I admired your boss for just putting the constitutional stuff aside because it was only a divider, your boss being uh, Jean Chrétien. But Brian Mulroney really wanted to do this Quebec thing. Help me understand what that's about, because uh, I will always believe that is really what led uh, to the demise of, of his uh, popularity. And um, I don't know whether he ever wanted to do a third term, but I think that made it impossible for him to win another election. Yeah, I agree. And um, it's what put me into politics. You know, I was practicing as a litigator in Ottawa, 99 Bank Street, the next building was this retired politician named Jean Chrétien. And I'd see him at lunchtime, you know, having a sandwich and line up by himself. And I dug that. And then along comes this agreement between the premiers to insert into the Constitution of Canada, our supreme statute, a phrase that Quebec is a distinct society. And, um, you know, in my books as a lawyer, as a citizen, you don't stick an interpretive phrase into the constitution without at least finding out what it's going to mean. And they refused to let it get defined. 
And I said, to hell with this bullshit. I'm going to find a politician to oppose it. And there were the only one. It was Jean Chrétien. And uh, as it turned out, quite a few of the country felt as Chrétien did. And that's when I started working for him, was over Meech Lake. And I agree with you. That was a huge mistake that Muldoon made. And um, the GST wasn't a mistake. He was right. Right. You know, I remember Chrétien saying to me, uh, maybe he'll get mad at me for telling you this, but, you know, we were speaking privately one day. And, uh, you know, Turner and Sheila Copps and Paul Martin, they were all, you know, against GST and they were holding up in the Senate. Remember that? And they're blowing kazoos and all that kind of shit. <laughs> and um, Christian said to me, do you think they're doing this because they know it's going to be popular? I was like, no. He said, they know it's going to be unpopular. They're doing it because the country's broke. We need the revenue. And so, and, you know, that ended up being why we kept it. Because we needed the revenue. The country was broke. And, you know, we were front page of The Economist. They were calling us a third world country. So um, Mulroney was right. And um, I still think he was wrong on Meech. But in both those cases, I think the big, the thread that runs through all of it, GST, Meech, free trade, all of it. And you and I have talked about this many times over the years. You can't be in people's faces every day. Right. They want this is one thing I learned from Christian. Do your job. Right. But you don't have to be on the front page of the newspaper every single morning. And that was the mistake that Moroni and his guys made is they were always in the news. And that's how you speed up your best before day. People get sick of you. They get sick of your face. And they want you gone. And, you know, that's when he had to pack it in because they were sick of his face. Warren, uh, as you know, I'm a uh, Cold War baby. I'm a uh, refugee. I was born overseas. I'm a refugee from a communist country. And uh, and that's why I'm in Canada today. And that's why I'm grateful uh, to the people of, of Canada forever, regardless of whether they agree or disagree with me on, on anything at all. Uh, this is uh, my family's uh, promised land. Now, the leader of this land, Brian Mulroney, was no longer the leader. He was a retired uh, politician and a very, very skilled uh, businessman, when he was invited to another land, the United States of America, invited there by a former first lady called Nancy Reagan, invited to deliver the eulogy at the Washington Cathedral 20 years ago at the state funeral of Ronald Reagan. People can have different views in my view, as I always put my views in the shop window, all my biases, people know them. I put them right up front. I am biased against communism. I'm biased against the Soviet Union. I was biased in favor of Ronald Reagan because he called the Soviet Union what it was, an evil empire. And I'm biased in favor of Brian Mulroney because at that eulogy for Ronald Reagan, Brian Mulroney made sure that the whole world understood how important that issue was. In my humble opinion, the two greatest speeches made by foreigners on U.S. soil were Winston Churchill in 1941 when he pleaded with Americans to join the war against fascism, to save the world from tyranny. Winston Churchill was a closer, and he closed the deal in 1941 in that speech, the greatest speech, in my opinion, uh, in America delivered by a foreigner. The second greatest, in my opinion, was the eulogy delivered 20 years ago in Washington by Brian Mulroney. Do you recall watching that speech either live or, or later 
on YouTube or, or elsewhere. Do you recall the words of Brian Mulroney 20 years ago at the state funeral for Ronald Wilson Reagan? I don't recall the exact words, but I recall the occasion because the occasion was momentous. Like the thing is, you know, a lot of people in Canada, I think, sometimes forget we are a small country with little to no military, diplomatic and economic power. We're a little country. And so when in the, the big leagues, when they pay attention to us, it's a big deal. And sometimes it's for, you know, bad stuff. Um, you know, a prime minister wearing blackface and write about that, make fun of us or, you know, a snowstorm or whatever. But for Brian Mulroney to be invited by Ronald Reagan's widow to speak at his funeral it was a testament, not just to Mulroney's skills as a speechmaker, but also to us. And, um, you know, I don't feel like we would get an invitation now. We barely get an invitation to a lot of stuff these days. And, um, you know, it was a testament to the man's skills at a, as a communicator, but as also a person. Now, the paradox is that, you know, he got us a free trade agreement. He successfully did that. He had forged a relationship with successive U.S. presidents that, I don't think it's been equaled since. However, the perception grew here, and I think the free trade agreement put gasoline on it, that he had grown too close to the United States. You know, I was saying to my gal, we were in Kennebunk last summer as we go in Maine. Uh, every summer, as you know, I took her out to Walker's Point, you know, where the bushes live, and I pointed to it, you know, and that's the compounds there and the Secret Service and all that stuff. I said, Brian Moroni has been in that building more than any other Canadian. And that, <laughs> you know, the Americans loved him. Yeah. Um, but I, a lot of Canadians got angry with him because they felt he'd gotten too close to the Americans. And that, I think, was one of the factors in his, in his eventual departure. Well, Brian Moroni uh, spent a lot of time in, uh, in Palm Beach, where he had a home, Palm Beach, uh, Florida. Not terribly far from Mar-a-Lago. I don't know how much time he spent with, with Donald Trump, but I know that uh, Mulroney has built bridges uh, to political people all around the world, including America. Uh, he's close to what I'll call the, the, the Bush-Reagan wing of the Republican Party, but he was also in touch with, with Donald Trump. Just help me here as, as a human being and political observer. What is it about the makeup of Brian Mulroney and what was it about his makeup that allowed him to have that kind of breadth and depth? Well, the Americans would listen to him, you know, including Donald Trump. But I know for a fact, um, because I know some of the Moroni family quite well, I know Moroni disapproved of Donald Trump's style of politics. You know, at the outset, just like Justin Trudeau has had to do, at the outset of the Trump administration, you know, Canada, it's like, you know, Justin's dad used to say, you know, we're, we're a mouse, you know, sleeping beside an elephant. They roll over, God help us. So you have to forge um, a working relationship, a cordial relationship with an American president. Every Canadian prime minister has had to do that. You know, it's critical. Um, but, you know, I think uh, Moroni and Crenshaw and Harper and all of them, came to be just appalled by the way in which Donald Trump conducts himself and how he 
exercise power. And I don't think any of those men approved of how uh, Trump uh, behaved. I think Mulroney was deployed um, by Trudeau to see if they could soften Trump up, particularly when Trump tore up the free trade agreement and uh, Christopher Freeland was hitting her head on the wall with the American negotiators. They sent down Muldoon to see if they could, you know, he could work some of the Irish magic with uh, Trump. I think it worked to some extent because we, you know, Freeland ended up concluding that agreement. And it was it was basically the same agreement as before with a different name. I can't even remember the stupid name that Trump gave it. But, you know, Mulroney, I think it was an all hands on deck effort for Canada. And uh, Mulroney was part of it. Yeah, I just thought of NAFTA, uh, thought of as, as NAFTA, too. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, Reagan, uh, Reagan, <laughs> I'm thinking about Reagan here because because um, of the of Reagan funeral where Mulroney spoke, and I'm just thinking that Reagan would condemn so much about what uh, what Trump is doing these days. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but uh, before I, I let you go here, I'm just going to ask you to put your lawyer's hat on, as I want to do. Um, the Supreme Court uh, of the United States, uh, the, the, there's something about the word Supreme Court. Uh, they're almost holy. They're holy to all of us who love democracy because we all understand that democracy uh, cannot stand without the rule of law. I cannot stand the decision that the United States Supreme Court uh, made uh, this week, and I have a feeling that the Supreme Court uh, hurt itself, hurt the legacy of the Supreme Court in deciding clearly to favor Donald Trump and to help him delay, delay, delay the major trial, there are a lot of charges against him, 91, but the, the major trial was going to be former war crimes prosecutor Jack Smith going against Donald Trump for sedition with reference to the events of, of January 6, uh, 2021. In your legal opinion, what did the Supreme Court do this week to rig, I don't use those words lightly, to rig the election? Donald Trump's legal strategy is simple. It is to rag the puck. He's facing 91 criminal charges in essentially four major prosecutions uh, from everything from improper storage of classified documents to sedition to election fraud. So he's in deep shit. And so his strategy is as follows. Rag the puck as long as you can, make use of those prosecutions, make yourself out to be a victim, and then, in the event he becomes President of the United States, pardon himself. Because when you're President of the United States, you can pardon anybody, including yourself. So that's what I think uh, he's up to, and the Supreme Court of the United States, I think you're a lot nicer as usual than I am. I think a significant chunk of them are criminals. Clarence Thomas is a criminal and a sexual harasser. And it was a disgrace that he ever became a member of the U.S. Supreme Court. And the rest of them make me sick to my stomach. They are not lawyers anymore. They are partisan water boys. And so he wanted a delay, and they gave it to him on the basis of basically no argument and no evidence whatsoever. So, but at the end of the day, if politics, one thing I believe, right, you know, eventually there's always a price to pay. And if they don't get him in one prosecution, they're going to go after him in the next one. They're going to go after him in the next one. 
And I think they're going to get him sooner or later. I don't know if he'll ever serve time behind bars, but as we've seen in the Gene Carroll case, that we've seen in the, um, you know, the basically the chicanery that, that his companies were up to in New York State, eventually they get him. It's just, unfortunately, it's going to take some considerable time. Will Rogers uh, once said, uh, I've never been a member of an organized political party. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 the attor- in my opinion, and you can uh, agree or disagree as always, but the attorney general, this would be Joe Biden's Mer- attorney general. Merrick Garland. Was, yes. Merrick Garland was so incredibly late at appointing a special counsel, Jack Smith, on the January 6th business, he was so late that, in my opinion, he sowed the seeds for the ugly crop that is being harvested by the Supreme Court. Yep, yep. You know what it is, and I, I count myself as a progressive still. You know what it is, but, but conservatives have no boundaries. Progressives do. To me, that's how I define progressives and conservatives. We, we have boundaries, they don't. And But I'm one of those progressives who doesn't believe in boundaries. Do you want to have a fight? Then we'll have a fucking fight. Let's go. Like, drop the gloves. Let's have a, a fight. And Merrick Garland is one of those guys. He's like, oh, I need to be seen to be fairer than fair, whiter than white, purer than pure. I'm going to appoint Trump's guy to review the conduct of Joe Biden. I, like, he's done this time and time again. And this is, you know, this is, what was her name? Uh, Clinton's attorney general. Um, Jen? Uh, the, the tall woman with the glasses. Yeah, Jan- Janet, 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 uh, last name. Uh, anyway, that was, one. Okay. Was Janet. She, yeah. she created Ken Starr. Yeah, that's wasn't right. the Republican Party. <laughs> she did it. Like, yeah. we're always doing this to ourselves, yeah. right? And it's like, I'm just sick of it. Like, it's you want to have a fight, we'll have a fight. But, like, I'm not going to hand you a loaded gun and say, you know, shoot me. And this is what progressives do too often. It's what Democrats in particular do. Trudeau, to his credit, doesn't do it that much. But, man, oh, man, it just drives me bananas. And then Democrats run around saying, oh, this is terrible. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you did it to yourself. Yeah. No, and, I, by the way, I don't, I don't want to pretend uh, to be uh... – a progressive, been a, been a small C a conservative for most of my adult life. And in the American context, I definitely was a, a Republican, but I was a moderate, uh, a moderate Republican. I never would have made it as a, as a, as a Trump Republican. Uh, but having, having said all of that, uh, the, the Merrick Garland, the, the attorney general for Joe Biden, I just don't understand because how long does it take um, after what happened on January 6th, the attempted coup, how long does it take to appoint a special counsel to mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. Uh, have a trial of, of Donald Trump. And it took him not months, but years yep. to appoint a special counsel. So, you know, while the Supreme Court did what it, it, it did, and both of us agree that it's egregious, uh, there's no way, there's no way the Supreme Court would have had a chance to delay, 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 and, and stop this thing had, had Merrick Garland. Uh, he, not, he's not a great lawyer. He's yeah. a great lawyer. But lawyers make for terrible politicians, right? Mulroney, Mulroney was a lawyer, yeah. but he was a better politician. And like you know, sometimes you got to take the gloves off and you got to duke it out. And um, you know, the 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 gentle kind of repartee you see in court 
that doesn't exist in politics. And uh, Mulroney was a practitioner of that. He knew that. You know, he was one of the greatest labor leaders, lawyers that Quebec ever had. He was able to stitch together deals with Quebec trade unions, which you know and I know are some of the toughest unions to deal with in the country. Mulroney was able to do that. But, you know, the skill he had as a politician, I think, was far greater. And, you know, the proof's in the pudding. He was... Uh, he was a winner, and he was somebody who took risks. Uh, Warren, I've only got uh, a couple of minutes uh, left here, but I wanted to end this on a, a personal note, as always. Can you recall any story at all, personal, you and Brian Mulroney, your your political enemy, about anything at all that may have happened to your life or his where you could share a, an anecdote with us before we leave? Uh, <clears throat> Gretchen had a health scare um, when we were in opposition. I was a special assistant, and um, uh, you know, in politics, if you stumble, your opponents can be on you like packs of dogs. And you know, the Paul Martin guys were out there saying, "Oh, Gretchen is dying. He's dying." And um, I was livid. I was so upset. And um, you know, I wanted to just. <laughs> I wanted to fight back and um, phone rings. There he is, Brian Mulroney. You know, put your boss on the line. You know, how is he? You know, want you to communicate, Neil and I, because they were a package, uh, our best wishes. And, um, you know, that was the kind of guy he is. And, like, I don't. I don't see Pierre Polyev doing that. I don't see a lot of them doing that kind of stuff these days. So that's gone. And um, I don't know if we can ever get it back, Charles. But God knows we need to. We need to have some decency in our public life these days. Uh, I think people are starving for it. They desperately need an Obama, you know, or a Muldoon or one of those ones who loves people. And uh, they're kind of hard to find these days. I started this uh, podcast by saying that I, I don't have much time for a partisanship on these things. One reason is I just find partisans boring and predictable. Yeah, they're boring. Yeah. yeah you, you've never you've never you've never been boring. You've never been predictable. You're an artist and a lawyer and you're a friend. I love you, Warren Kinsella. Thank you very much for this.